Are you curious about, interested in, or working within the field of anesthesiology and you are a woman, person of color, or otherwise do not fit the stereotypical image of what an anesthesiologist looks like? Then this is the podcast for you. We will discuss what life is like on the other side of the blue drape for us. Issues most relevant, such as what is anesthesia really? And we're not talking textbook definition. Tips for applying, success in residency, life as an attending, and beyond. Join us each week as we take a dive into this rich and often misunderstood field. This is your host, Dr. Alicia Peterson, and welcome to Sivo Sisters. Happy Monday, y'all. We are jumping in today with continuing our April Monday series with Dr. Stephen Estime. This time we are jumping into his story. How did he become the intensivist trauma anesthesiologist that he is at University of Chicago? What were the struggles that he faced? What were the experiences that he had that made him into the academic anesthesiologist, educational leader that he is today. Please enjoy. We actually met through Twitter. (laughs) Shout out to Twitter. Uh, He he asked a great question about uh, the question, what makes a good anesthesiology resident? And I said, oh, that's so good. We have to have you on the podcast to fully flesh that out. And uh, I think that whether it was Twitter or whether it was something else, I think our paths were bound to cross eventually. It was, it was meant to happen. It was going to happen. Twitter helped to uh, to accelerate that. So uh, I'm really excited to be here. And and being the first male on the podcast, that's a pretty that's those are pretty big expectations. So uh, <laughs> hopefully I can live up to that. But uh, but thank you again for for having me on. So what attracted you to the field? How did you know about it? I feel as if anesthesiology almost suffers from obscurity. In an actual, I was actually in a really fortunate experience uh, or, or sort of place. You know, my uh, my entire family uh, are nurses. So I came from this, this really strong nursing degree. I don't have any physicians in the family, but, um, you know, literally my, my grandfather, my grandmother, my mother, my father, the majority of my aunts and uncles uh, were all nurses. Um, my grandfather was a nurse anesthetist for uh, for Michigan, so he was in he was in Michigan. That's where I'm from, uh, and he was actually head of the Michigan Society for Nurse Anesthetists. And I think that that really influenced my mother, uh, who during my middle school years decided to go back um, after she realized we did we needed more money to keep our growing family afloat. Uh, she decided to go back to nursing school uh, nursing school and get her. Uh, certified registered nurse uh, anesthetist degree. And so I saw her go through that experience firsthand. And I saw her um, sort of evolve from an ER nurse into a nurse anesthetist. And I really um, saw her flourish as I was in high school. And so that was actually my first introduction to the field of anesthesia was was through my mom. Um, I was fortunate again uh, in high school uh, when we sort of had the, the resources and the means we went back to my father's home country, uh, which was Haiti, and we got an opportunity to spend both me and my brothers. I've got two younger brothers, one year uh, below me. All three of us and my mother went to the middle of Haiti in Deschapelles, 
And we volunteered for a week uh, at Hospital Albert Schweitzer in Haiti. Um, this was, you know, really in the same community that my father uh, was raised and and where he grew up in. And, um, you know, really seeing my mom do anesthesia in the middle of Haiti and to see the kind of impact that she had for the Haitian people was something that it's just like it was it was inspiring. And it was something that I really wanted to incorporate into my life uh, in some kind of capacity. I, I wasn't sure at that time whether that was going to be anesthesia, whether that was going to be medicine, whether that was through public health. I wasn't exactly sure what that was through, but I thought that that power that that she had to sort of influence the lives of uh, individuals who didn't have as much, that was really inspiring. And so that's what sort of got me on the track at that point um, to go into medicine. And after that, I was, I was, you know, on that, on that track forward. My dad had just come out of nursing school as well, too, while we were in middle school. And, you know, me and my brothers would go through, we would see all the anatomy books and we'd see the pathology books, you know, in the, in the book covers. And, you know, we would open them up and look through them and, and look at sometimes gruesome and just sort of crazy pictures that we would see. And it was fascinating. It was fascinating to see just like the bullet trajectory through a leg and seeing the shattered, you know, femur for me, at least it was, it was something that, uh, was, was really cool to see. I think for my brothers, they, they each went off into something completely different in yeah. a completely different field. But, you know, for me, that was a really, uh, that was really an important, it was important to see that. And it was important to get exposure to that. And I think I was really, really fortunate to actually, uh, get that firsthand exposure. And I mean, of no, that really did serve as a guiding light for you because you do trauma <laughs> anesthesiology. Yeah. yeah. This experience in a different country. It sounds like this country is also home for your family. Yeah. My father was from, you know, he's from Haiti and he lived most of his, I mean, his entire childhood, he left when he was in his 20s. Uh, and so we still at that time had. Uh, a significant amount of my family uh, still there. My dad had a lot of friends there. And so we had a, a very real presence uh, in Haiti at that time. And so the experience wasn't just looking at, you know, people from afar and saying, oh, you know, look at these poor individuals and look what the, this was. This is my family that uh, was sort of going through going through this because um, it was it was it was definitely a shocking experience. It was a culture shock to to go into Haiti and to sort of see the level of poverty and to see the level of uh, infrastructure or lack thereof that uh, that Haiti had, um, and to see that you know affected firsthand with with family that you that you know and love, um, it was it was eye opening. It was inspiring. And so now you take that experience, and how does that shape what you decide to pursue? Absolutely. So I, I, after high school, I left and I, I went to college. I was at University of Michigan for college. And, you know, really when I got there, I was kind of in a one track mind, I think as a lot of people can be when they get into college and they're trying to get into medical school. And so, you know, my life quickly became, I've got to get into medical school and I've got to try to do what I can do to get into medical school. And, you know, to be honest with you, that experience, uh, it was challenging. It was really tough. I think undergrad was some of the most challenging experiences that I've had. Um, we didn't call it this at the time, but now that I've learned more about this, I clearly understand what I was going through. And that was imposter syndrome, you know, where I I just felt like, you know, I had, you know, I I grew up just outside of Detroit. I would say that my schooling wasn't a top-tier education. Um, a lot of the individuals that I had surrounded myself in, in undergrad or sorry, in, um, in high school. And before that were, 
you know, most of them didn't go to college. A lot of them didn't graduate high school. A few of them ended up in jail. A few of them are dead. And so, you know, it, I, I felt like, who am I to be at this institution of excellence at the University of Michigan alongside all these other privately educated folks who came from a lot of money and, and resources and all that? And, um, you know, it was scary. And I, I just I didn't think that I had the intelligence. Um, I didn't think that I had the pedigree for it. Um, and I actually used that, you know, that that sort of became a motivator for me where um, I, I kind of used those, that that imposter syndrome, I used those perceived inadequacies about myself and I used that as motivation. And I think one of the running themes or one of the driving themes throughout my entire time was, you know, I've got to work twice as hard just to get half as far. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom kind of instilled a similar mindset. It's like, this is what you're going to have to do if you want to succeed. You know, you've got to try harder than everybody else. And so that's what I did. And I, I tried to surround myself around individuals who I thought um, were going to be people that were going to be successful. So I looked at individuals and I said, huh, you're in my class. You seem like you know what you're doing. Let me surround myself around you. Let me see what you're studying. Let me study and just try to replicate what I can. And that's what I did. Um, it was it was a challenging four years, uh, but I I got out. And I had stellar grades, and I you know was able to fortunately uh, get into medical school at uh, you know Wayne State in Detroit, Michigan. So I was able to stay around at at home for it as well too. Wow. So real quickly, I have to. Go back to what you said earlier, because so many of our listeners, we hear this day, I hear this all the time, where they express imposter syndrome to the point where it almost becomes paralyzing and it almost becomes like the self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, One of the techniques you mentioned using, surrounding yourself by people who are, um, you know, inspirations for you. Also, you mentioned how it was a motivator how that imposter syndrome, you push harder. But at the same time, there becomes a point where we become just overachievers because there's no end to working hard. Uh, And so it's like, oh, we need to do another fellowship or we need to get that extra, you know, degree. And there comes a point where it's like, okay, we, we have to reach you know, we actually have to do, and we can't keep slapping all of these, you know, certifications and and fellowships and degrees on us, you know, the, the validation has to come from within. So I'm curious as to what, what was your turning point where you're like, you're, you're motivated, but then you, you believe that you can do this. That's a, that is such a great question. And, um, you know, it was, it was probably the most it was probably the most pivotal time in my life. This was when I got into medical school and it was my first year of medical school. Um, it was a, it was a journey. It was a, it was a personal journey is what I, is what I will call it because I think what had been successful, the recipe for success. And, you know, it was interesting because that imposter syndrome, I kept onto it, even though I had great grades. I mean, phenomenal grades uh, all throughout undergrad. I always would come with an excuse of why that grade didn't really count. You know, you get an A in organic chemistry and it's like, well, you know, you kind of got lucky on a test, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you 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 score really well in like a physical chemistry class, but you're just like, yeah, but I also was studying with this other individual who really had their stuff together. So if I hadn't studied with them, I wouldn't have gotten that grade. And so I always had these built-in excuses. And I, I think 
maybe the reason was because I I wanted to continue to use that as a motivator. But, you know, I'll tell you, it all came to a head when I was in medical school in that first year where, you know, the information was 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 so vast. There was so much stuff that you had to learn in such a quick time. And there were so many people around me that were so intelligent that that concept of not really believing in my my skills and believing in myself uh, started to have really detrimental impacts where I had issues with... Um, I remember in particular, it was during, I want to say the last anatomy test of my first year. This was in the first uh, semester where I struggled because there was a lost weekend, I'll call it, where I, I was stressing so much about not being able to get it together. And I had this negative mindset. I could no longer sleep. Um, I couldn't really think anymore. And I just, things weren't happening. So I had an entire weekend right before an exam where I I just could, I, I hit a wall and I couldn't study. I couldn't do anything. I was sort of paralyzed by anxiety and paralyzed by these negative thoughts. And it was interesting because, you know, after that weekend where I really couldn't do much, I went in and I took the anatomy exam anyways. And, uh, which was a big, which was a big effort. Cause I was just like, I, I just can't take the exam. I just may need to like take time off and just like get myself together but I decided to go and take that anatomy test anyways. And when I got the results a couple of days later, um, I mean, they weren't stellar, but I had passed the test, you know, I'd still pass the test. But I'm like, I had to like stop myself and think, how much more evidence do you need? Right, right. <laughs> you deserve to be here and that you didn't just get here because of your skin color or through affirmative action or because you got lucky on a couple of tests. like. You deserve to be here. Even though you didn't study the way that you want to study, you had a horrible mindset. You weren't sleeping. You still went in there and you still made it happen. So this, this attitude has got to change. And through further discussions with you know family uh, and friends, I started to sort of adopt more of a growth mindset. I think that was really the, the, the huge change was this change from a negative mindset where, you know, I'm not good enough. I can't do this to no, I can do this. And I need to have, I need to have this belief in myself. And even if it looks insurmountable, I don't know how I'm going to get it done, but I'm going to get it done and I'm going to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think I needed that. I needed that lost weekend. I needed that weekend where everything just fell apart for me to understand who I really was and to understand that I do have what it takes to be here and to not doubt myself anymore. And so um, that was a hard transition. It was really difficult. I wouldn't want to have to go through that again, but you know, it, it made me who I am today. Yeah. And I think that it was certainly crucial, um, for you to have your sort of heart broken like that, just so that you can, we can all finally see, you could see for yourself what you're made of and, um, come to that realization that no, it's in you, you have it. You know, it, it not these external factors. Uh, and then another piece that you said, I thought that was really powerful. So many um, trainees, even faculty, when we approach new obstacles, new challenges, we think we need to have all the answers straight away. And if we don't have all the answers, then something's wrong. And it really hamstrings us to grow when you said what the answer is. And that is, you don't have to know what you're doing. 
You just have to have faith that you can figure it out. And that's really what this is all about, folks. I mean, when it comes to, to growing is that we don't know what we're doing, right? But you can figure it out. And that's exactly what you did. It was the mindset. It was the mindset that that completely changed. And, you know, it was important because after that first semester of medical school, uh, medical school got more difficult from a work perspective. You know, you, I... I had to learn quicker. You know, we had less time to learn more information. The stakes got higher as, um, you know, at least at that time in my medical school class, everything was graded. There was no pass fail. And, uh, you know, step one was was around the corner, was was coming up as well, too. And so um, I, I think that going in with the right mindset that I'm going to get this thing done, I'm going to figure out a way to get it done no matter what was crucial. It was it was uh, it was crucial. So, you know, as I as I went through it and I, I did my first two years, uh, I went through it successfully. And um, and, you know, I finally got on to third year, which is, I think, really what medical school is all about for me. Um, the book work and, and uh, you know, sort of locking myself in a library was for two years uh, was important. You know, you had to get the information one way or another. But that's not really what I came to medical school for. It was really those those patient encounters and that patient interaction, and and, and really giving myself the opportunity to actually use and incorporate this uh, newfound knowledge that I had. And you know, my my third year of medical school was challenging in other ways, but I loved it. It was it was a lot of fun and um, so much fun that by the end of it, I didn't know what I wanted to do because <laughs> I was uh, I was one of those students that I. I really enjoyed everything. I came into third year with the mentality that I don't know what I want to do. I know at some point in the distant fat past, I had thought about anesthesiology, but I don't know anymore. I could do anything. And so I approached every single rotation with that exact mindset. You know, first rotation was OBGYN. And I said, I'm going to be an OBGYN. And um, after that rotation, I said, I might be an OBGYN because I, I love doing it. And then I went to psych and I thought, well, psych was the one where I was like, I'm not doing psych. <laughs> I, didn't like, I didn't really like that. I, I liked the information. I didn't like the practice of it, but everything else I, I loved. And so, you know, as the end of the year came, I was, I actually found myself between, uh, funny enough, anesthesia and urology. Um, now, was anesthesiology an elective or was it a core? That's a great question because it was not an elective. So that was probably that was probably the reason that it was still in the back of my mind, but it wasn't definitive. I'd actually tried to get it as an elective rotation, but it was so popular that it got that it had gotten completely taken up. And so instead, I took urology. And when I took urology, uh, I did that for two weeks, and I actually got mentorship. There was a an older African American uh, surgeon who really took to me uh, for whatever reason. He really, really took to me. He he gravitated towards me. And that was so influential because I had never really had somebody gravitate towards me that that looked like me and that was invested in like me as a person. And um, it made me really seriously consider urology. And I, I thought long and hard about doing urology because this person had attached themselves onto me. And um and it wanted me to thrive. And I'm like, wow, to get this kind of mentorship and to like have somebody here who really cares about me as a person and my development, that's not something that that I found in other rotations. Maybe I'm going to be a urologist. Um, and then at the end of the year, I, I sort of had to go through and do a little self-analysis on what was most important for me to, to finally make that decision to then pursue anesthesia, specifically with the intent to pursue critical care uh, after that. 
so it was a hard decision, but uh, but yeah, that's that's sort of how that journey went third year. <laughs> and when you did your anesthesia rotation, because it sounded like you had these strong pulls to do urology, and and that does demonstrate it illustrates beautifully how impactful mentorship is. Uh, so, what was your impression after your anesthesiology rotation? And then, what were the factors that made you finally veer in that direction? Yeah, so it was interesting because, you know, I actually hadn't done an anesthesia rotation when I made the decision. You know, you had to make the decision as to what you were going to do, how you're going to set your fourth year up, your fourth year uh, schedule up. And you had to make that decision at the end of third year. So I remember literally sitting uh, at my desk, make, just sitting down and saying, okay, okay, Steve, you got to make a decision. You're either going to be a urologist or you're going to be an anesthesiologist and you need to figure this thing out today. Um, I hadn't done a rotation before, but again, I, I was fortunate enough and I did have, I did have that advantage of having my, my grandfather and my mother, both nurse anesthetists. And so part of it was the fact that I said, you know, I don't have any other physicians in my family. There was no family friends that were physicians. I didn't really know any other physicians personally outside of the ones that I had met during third year. Um, but I, I thought to myself, you know, if my grandfather could do it, if my mother could do it, and they seem to be really, really happy in what they do, I'll be really happy because I'm, you know, I, I, I'm an optimistic kind of person. And I think I could, I can find good in whatever, whatever it is I do. So I think that was one big aspect of it. The other big aspect of it was the fact that I loved everything that I did. And so at the end of third year, I wanted, I realized I wanted to do something where I could still incorporate all of medicine into whatever it was that I did. And I couldn't find another field outside of anesthesia that touched every single field of medicine in a way that anesthesia did. Um, part of that also was because, you know, in my family, being the only physician, I wanted, I, I knew that I was going to be a go-to, like a resource for everybody in my family. And if I was going to be a resource, then I really wanted to have some knowledge about every single field in medicine, or at least be able to personally know somebody that I could refer them to for further information. And, you know, as I was talking to my father, I'd finally talked to my father at the end of that day to try to figure out what I wanted to do. And, you know, um, I thought about him and I thought, you know, as he ages and as he gets older, and as my mother ages and gets older, I want to be that resource. I want to be that advocate for them uh, as they're as they're aging and as they're going through more and more complexities of, of medical care and surgery and everything like that. And so um, so I thought that anesthesia would really fulfill that role. I want you to think about what are the areas in your life that you are ashamed of that you think makes you less than your classmates or colleagues? For Dr. Estime, he shared with us that the voices that he had throughout his educational journey was, well, who am I to be here? I grew up in inner city Detroit, public school background. My family didn't come from high financial means. What are those areas for you that you keep having to push against as you move throughout your professional journey. I would like for you to think of these areas that you may want to sweep under the rug as your superpower and not your weakness. When we look at Dr. Esme's journey, I mean, he ended up becoming an intensivist and trauma anesthesiologist the qualities needed for that specialty requires a sensitivity and empathy and a humility 
that actually came from his experiences serving his family and community in Haiti within the city of Detroit. Patients are going to be able to relate to a physician that came from a similar financial background as them, similar life experience to them than they would somebody who comes from wealth, private school, and country club. So think about how your unique experiences will allow you to serve your patients better. And don't compare yourself to your classmates and colleagues because we are all groomed to follow a different path and serve a particular population. So take inventory of those things that you may be ashamed of. How can that provide you clues as to who you are intended to serve? Don't look at it as a weakness. It is actually a strength and a superpower because you are enhanced with the ability to serve at a level that you can't learn in a textbook. Stay tuned for next week's part two as we enter into the second part of Dr. Estime's journey into residency, fellowship, and faculty. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sivo Sisters. If you love this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you don't miss out. New episodes drop every week on a Monday because we all can use a little something, something to get us through the week. Am I right? I'd love to hear more from you on the topics that you want to hear. So let me know in the comments. This is Dr. Peterson signing off. See you next time.